Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, it's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Pre-season gets underway in earnest. Sorry, in Austria. The CEO search is over with Darren Eels joining from Major League Soccer outfit Atlanta United. And NUFC's iconic physio Derek Wright joins the show as he bids farewell after a mind-bending 38 years at the club. Hello chaps, how the devil are we? Chris Woff over there in that Austria. Well, you're in Germany technically, aren't you? But you've been in that Austria. Uh, and George Corgan as well in your house. Not as glamorous as Chris, but how are we doing? Are we all right? Uh, I am good, thank you. Other than I seem to be holed up in someone else's hotel room if the hotel staff's reaction to me this morning is anything to go by. I got the room last night very late, it was after midnight, and there were two macarons wrapped up nicely in a letter to a frau, I can't remember her name, uh, and then I came down for breakfast this morning, gave my room number, and the uh, waitress went away and then ran back about five minutes later and said, hey, what is your name? You need to pay at reception. So uh, so I think I might be in the wrong hotel room, but other than that, yes, it's been a very, very enjoyable trip, thank you. Yes, and I'm okay. I'm, well, I've just had a night of no sleep in the broiling heat yeah. of uh, of, uh, of northeast England. Uh, to put it to put that in Newcastle terms, I'm I'm hotter than Callum Wilson's smile. Put it that way. I'm no, hotter. Yeah. I'm hotter than My a Joe. God, that is hot. I'm I'm hotter than a Joe Willock goal scoring streak. I'm hotter. This, are you, George? I'm hotter than Mike <laughs> Ashley's under underpants. Oh, oh, I don't want to think about that. Oh. How are you, Taylor? I'm all right. I'm, it's the same for me, though. I've, I've, I've got. I was awake about five a.m. this morning. The the heat is is stifling already. And I've just, yesterday I just lay like you know when you see one of those lizards in Spain that just lies on a rock. Yeah, and it's just fucked because it's too hot to do anything. That's just me. that was me yesterday. Well, come on, look this this, <laughs> this 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 teases us up nicely for some red hot soccer chat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, preseason. Uh, it's begun in earnest, hasn't it? Uh, Newcastle have played 1860 Munich and Mainz. Uh, a 3-0 win against 1860 Munich and a 1-0 defeat against Mainz. Chris, you were over there. What's the feeling like over in Austria and in the camp? It's been... You can see that the players have really enjoyed themselves uh, across... Well, they, they came back last night. So this is Tuesday morning. I'm speaking to you. They flew back after the Mainz game. They were staying near a place called Salfelden in a really nice hotel complex. They've been travelling around on e-bikes everywhere. So they arrived at training, all zooming in Amazing. on their e-bikes. I, bu- I bumped into Kieran Trippier in the middle of town the other day. He was just sitting around in his e-bike. They've all just been really enjoying themselves doing that. They've had a bit of downtime, but go-karting and the likes. Which I, uh, hang, uh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Doesn't e-bikes absolutely spoil the entire purpose of pre-season training? It's to get fit they're being taken around the place on electric bikes yeah i imagine like old school managers would probably sort of be absolutely despise the concept of it wow 
Brian Clough would hate an e-bike, wouldn't <laughs> yeah, he? An e-bike? Would hate an e-bike. What's but, going on? <laughs> but but so we um they've played two matches uh, out in Austria. They played near Salfelden where they were, where they were staying on Friday against 1860 Munich, and then they played Mainz on Monday. But on the Sunday, we got invited uh, to go and watch about half an hour of training, which was a really intense session. Um, there was It was a sort of pressing drill, and you can see exactly what they're working on. And Eddie Howe uh, dropped a couple of F-bombs in it when he got a bit angry with how the, uh, the players were, were performing. Eddie Howe, who, by the way, is looking extremely buff, He's definitely been working out, and he looks he looks like he's definitely bulked up. Right. And then we went to the hotel. We spoke to Howe, had a sit-down with Howe, and then I had a sit-down with Nick Pope, which will come out in The Athletic in the course of the next few weeks. Other journalists spoke to, to other players, and it's been, they've been really accommodating. You can see that they've, they've got through a heck of a lot of work, but also I think they've really enjoyed themselves. Usually when you come to pre-season camps, you get a bit of a murmuring of, mm, yeah, the players haven't enjoyed this, they've had nothing to do. Mm. But I think that they've enjoyed both the hard work and the fact that there was beautiful scenery and that and they had the opportunity to have free time and so I could see Newcastle potentially coming back here in the future even though it was very much a last minute thing a recommendation of a backroom staff member who used to be at Liverpool once the Ohio Cup was cancelled as to where they could go but I think that they've really they've really liked what they've seen and I think they've got through a heck of a lot of work. Absolutely stunning backdrop for that 1860 Munich game as well, wasn't it? I was watching that on the on the TV on nufc.com uh, Sorry, Ooh, Floridian slip, um, and it was uh, it was a stunning stadium and an uh, absolutely incredible setting that that game was played in, wasn't it, Chris? It looked beautiful. It was beautiful. That was about a twenty minute walk from where we were staying in Salfelden. So it's actually Christian Ziegler manages the team who are there, uh, who who play there. Wow, um, he's been there a few years. So f- former. Premier League footballers, I'm sure uh, many will remember uh, FC Pingzhou, I think they're called. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was it was Newcastle's first pre-season friendly that wasn't behind closed doors. There was a big gate said the weekend before. Then 1860 Munich are a third division German side, and Newcastle laboured for a bit of that. And I think there was a few reasons. First of all, yeah. A lot of the players went to it quite fatigued because of the work they'd done during the week. How is talked about tapering down training, going towards Portugal. This was the really intense block, and the training was almost more important than than the game, other than than what they were going to get from it tactically. But in terms of the performance, wasn't necessarily as important. And then second of all, uh, the heat affected them I'm sure yeah and 1860 sort of sat in a low block but then the last half an hour when Newcastle brought on their internationals they're really who only play the final half an hour the likes of Bruno Gimresh and they really really stepped it up from that point and Kieran Trippier and, and the like and it was a comfortable win in the end and obviously we saw Nick Pope and Sven Botman for the first time we did and um, Pope started that match How was adamant not to read too much into it in terms of that means he's he's uh, in line to be number one. Dubravka started the next game and then they, they switched and did the final half an hour. But Pope looked solid. He, made, he only had one real save to make, but it was a good one. Mm. What I think was noticeable was how much he was using his feet to pack, to play it short. Very un-Burnley-esque, as we were talking about the other week. So he's already working on that. And then Sven Botman came on a little bit earlier than intended. Came on at half-time uh, because... Jamal Lascelles had a little, had received a bit of kick in the first half, and just just as a precaution, so he initially came on as a right-sided centre back and alongside Dan Byrne. Then on the hour mark, shifted across to left-sided centre back and played with 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 Fabian Share. So it's interesting to see that already he has been tested in that position, even if it was yeah. more necessity rather than out of plan. I was impressed with uh, Botman George. I thought he looked uh, he looked solid, comfortable on the ball. He's a big, tall lad. He, he looks strong and. Uh, I mean, the entire team look pretty fit, don't they? But it was nice to see those new signings getting a run out. Ugh, couldn't really give a toss. I haven't watched a single second of it. Not really, not interested in pre-season tra- <laughs> friendlies at all. Absolutely, couldn't give a toss. Oh God, I'm so glad you're back. The um, <laughs> the thing that I want to talk about though is, I mean, no one likes a grass, obviously. But Chris has just been sending me a long series of photographs of him drinking beer. Eating various right. Austrian Germanic meat products, cycling everywhere, wearing his shorts—it's just been one big long jolly for Chris, who doesn't fancy the South Coast, as we uh, as we established. You're still bitter about the as we established thing, aren't you? last you really week. Are. But one thing, one very nice thing that Chris has done whilst he's been over there is that he hosted a meet and greet for Athletic subscribers, which um, all Athletic writers who've been on tour with their respective clubs have have been asked to do. So I, I, tell us about that, Chris. How did that go? <laughs> I think I might leave the podcast at this stage. 
there was there was there was, there was only was only one person who turned up. So that was that was that was how successful it was. I mean, I had fear when when I'll give a bit of context. This so we were we were asked about ten days ago to 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 to, to, con- to put together an email for all athletic reporters who were going away on pre-seasons. About ten of us, I think. And the likes of Man United have gone somewhere. I think they're in Australia somewhere. And Everton are in Washington, D.C. And what you can do is you can target an email to a very ge- to a specific geographic location for where you've got subscribers from. And it turns out that we don't have many subscribers who are based in Salfolden in Austria. Um, and and, and the, there wasn't there wasn't as many Newcastle fans that came across for the, the first game actually as I I, I was a bit surprised that, that I thought there'd be a few more fans but I th- again I think there was a few reasons for that I think how late it was I think it's a tough place to get yeah to it's a as tough well. place to get to how late to the game was confirmed um, also that the fans who had come in for it I think some had left to go to Salzburg or elsewhere and moved on I'm trying to make myself feel better here by the way. But yes, it was. It was. It was. It, it in the sense only one person turned up was an unmitigated disaster. But yes, I do love you all. So the fans, so what was- the fans who I met in the hotel on the Friday, because before Friday I thought they're probably going to be nobody turning up yet. A couple of fans who were staying in my hotel said to me, oh, Chris, we'll beat your thing tomorrow night. So at that point, suddenly my confidence level shot, and I thought, eee, that's going to be at least half a dozen people. This will be great. No, no, that was a... So whoever that was, thank you for, thank you for bareface lying to me. In you there. didn't even get his name. No. <laughs> you didn't even get the lad's name. Well, clearly because you just lied to us, you probably didn't want to give his name across either. So, uh, yeah. But in terms of... To, to pick up on your point about meet George, I never thought I would say this, but actually... I think I've had my fill for the last few days. What's been very oh, odd wow. is that in German, it seems that German and Austrian places, they really like Greek restaurants. Everywhere we've been just about, there's been a, oh, wow. there's been a Greek restaurant, there's been like the main restaurant or place. I've had some Austrian sausages as well, but there has, but there have been a, there's been a lot of Greek Greek meat. Uh, yeah. Anyway, to answer the, so sorry about that, Which Chris. is going to be um, the title for this podcast, <laughs> A yeah. Lot of Greek Meat. I apologise for that, Chris, uh, but I couldn't really resist. Anyway, I do, I mean, I think the important thing at this stage is that it, it is all about fitness, it's about integrating players, mm. it's about it's about team spirit, it's about teamwork, and it's about sweat, really. I don't honestly think anything else matters, um, but that's not to say that pre-season isn't, you know, isn't very, very important, and I'm delighted that Chris is there for us, and he's He's uh, he's produced some kind of great stuff, but yeah. in terms of drawing conclusions from, you know, sweeping conclusions from friendly matches, I've never I've never done that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't see the team at their at, at, at full tilt, but obviously the team looks strong and they look fit. Um, and I thought the pressing Chris was really intense, especially in the second game against Mainz when Mainz kind of dropped right off in the second half and, and the pressing was just relentless, wasn't it? Newcastle had a few chances. Callum Wilson had a, a shot saved by that uh, young goalkeeper's face. Uh, and it was, you know, Newcastle were unlucky not to come away with something. But again, it's the same story, isn't it? They're profligate up front uh, and they, they don't seem to be put, able to put the chances away at the minute. Yeah, I've written about that. Uh, it's on the Athletic now about the sort of the how the Hugo Ekatike affiliate to sign him has sort of affected their their summer plans for, for for bringing in forwards. And at the minute, they really aren't anywhere in terms of who they're trying to bring. They they really aren't close to anything, and they are having to reassess things. And that's where mm. you can see the lack in the final third. How said after the game when we pushed them on it that they've they've obviously been working on everything, but now that they're focused on certain points at different points of preseason, now the focus will shift to the final third and to trying to get more out of who they have because for the first two thirds of the pitch you can see where they have developed you can see they're playing a higher line albeit they've been against opposition who've tried to sit back a little bit from them but they're trying to push higher they're trying to retain the ball a little bit more and they are pressing from the front and that intensity's gone up even more than last season you can also see the change in in approach the midfield the wider midfielders in the midfield three whoever that may be who's playing there they're actively looking to overlap and underlap the the forwards create an overload into the box and so you can see what Newcastle are trying to work on it just hasn't quite clicked in attack yet and they could do with a little bit of ingenuity yeah. because Alan Saint-Maximin I think he's had a couple of little niggles during pre-season and he hasn't quite set a light yet but as George said you can't read too much into these matches but equally I still think given we know that Newcastle struggled a little bit with goals last season the fact they haven't added anyone in attack yet and that's been the priority throughout does remain a little bit of a concern as to how they really do improve that going forward there's no panic from the club though is there as far as the hierarchy are concerned there are striker targets going elsewhere Armando Breuer is apparently close to a deal with uh, West Ham but the club are not panicked 
panicking, and neither should we, really, should we? No, it's 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 not a, it's not a sense of panic. I think it's more a sense of frustration with the market as much as anything else. That 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 Howe spoke about the Ekatike deal, and he was he was sort of. Um, quite philosophical about it, talking, trying to almost make a positive out of the fact. Look, this is the caliber of player we're going for. This is the caliber of club we're competing against. Yeah. And the budget Newcastle have remaining means that that, that they probably can't sign two players of the of the quality they necessarily want permanently anyway. In terms of a, a right winger and a centre forward, unless they can get some some sort of decent deal negotiated elsewhere. And so that, that they are trying to be savvy in terms of what they do. They, they may use the Premier League loan market towards the, the end of the window when players become available. Um, but for now, that yeah, they're, they're not panicking, but I, I do think they would like to see progress in that regard. They do need... It just feels like they need something fresh. Although the, the one player who really is benefiting from the lack of transfer activity and has, has been given the chance that Eddie Howe told him he would be given during preseason is Elliot Anderson, who I think has really caught the eye of quite a few people. He's shown, uh, he, he's physically grown in stature as well. I remember hmm. he, he's, he's usually quite, he, he was previously quite a slight individual. He's bulked up that you can see he's done that in his league two, uh, his time at Bristol Rovers in league two, but also his game has come on a heck of a lot and he's the one bright spark. How picked him out against 1860 Munich. I thought we saw flashes again when he came on against Mainz, that he's someone who... It's interesting because he's been playing on the left of the midfield three when he's been playing. But when Newcastle have possession, it's almost become like a 4-2-3-1. Willick drops a little bit deeper to join Shelby, and Anderson goes in the pockets behind the striker. And it's just interesting to see what he can bring and how... If for now, has said that he's going to stick around, and it depends on on a what they do in the market, and b whether Anderson is going to is going to play reggie. But I don't think he's done himself any harm whatsoever so far. Has that Absolutely. been another? Has that been another dog shouting at you in the background, Chris? <laughs> That's outside my window of my kitchen. There's a oh, dog it? barking in the back garden, shouting, and then next door, shouting. there's somebody dog shouting in the back garden. <laughs> So, Chris, another uh, another player who's in an upbeat mood and uh, has, has been enjoying that training camp is John Joe Shelby. And we're going to hear a little bit from him now. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, obviously, we went for a really bad start. We've been in just six and a half years now. And you know what the, what the crack is around the city and what you can and can't do and, and stuff like that now. So, it's, um, it's a really good place to be at the minute. The city's buzzing. I mean, Mar- Misses and kids, they, they, they love it out there. So it's uh, it's just a great place to be, and everyone wants to be involved in. You want to be here longer than your current contract? Yeah, I've got three games to make to get another year. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, hopefully, so yeah, hopefully, I should do that this year. I mean, I'd be a bit worried if I didn't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, obviously, I'm, at the end of the day, you're always bad for a new contract, you know what I mean? I'm not thick, I'm not getting any younger, I'm 30 years of age. I look back, always here, but it's nice. Uh, you just want to be part of it at the end of the day. It's, uh, it's the only way this club is looking is up, and I think everyone would like to be in my shoes. Yeah, so a very trim-looking John Joe Shelby. Actually, it's almost—I almost think he looks a little bit. It's bizarre. He looks a little bit too thin. He looks almost—he looks different in the face. He looks almost skeletally. He's lost. I think he said he'd lost thirty-two millimeters. You know, in the pinch test. Wow. Or in terms of fat of this way, he went to Turkey. He's been working really hard to try and get himself fit. He said how Eddie Howe has driven standards so much. He talked about defensively. He feels that Howe has brought him on a heck of a lot and that he knows that he just has to keep raising his level not just because Newcastle are pushing on but the Premier League and football in general Yeah, and it was refreshing to hear from somebody he's very open and honest when you do get it we don't get to interview Shelby very often but when we do he is always a very good talker and he will answer questions he revealed that he's only three games away from an automatic extension for another 12 yeah, months because his contract that. initially was due to be up next summer. If he plays three games, he's going to go to 2024. But he's basically said, I- I'm not just happy with that. I, I know I'm getting on, but I-, I want to I want to stay at Newcastle. I want to be part of this as long as possible. He says he backs himself against anyone. He talked about the quality of Bruno Gimresh and the others, but he said, I, I believe I-, I can be as good as anyone. I-, I will challenge myself against anyone. And he just sounds so driven and so determined and and I think it'll be it'll be fascinating to see which midfield three does start because Newcastle have strength and depth there Sean Longstaff has looked good in pre-season so far he looks very fit as well Joe Willock is it, it gives something a little bit different Newcastle have quite a lot of options in there even with Elliot Anderson as someone else who can play that midfield which is 100% what you want I mean Shelby obviously played a very important role in Newcastle's unbeaten run 
in the second half of last season. Yeah. Whatever you think about him as a player, whatever you think about the other players who've who've been here, um, you know, for a while, you want them to be driven on by what's happened post-takeover to get better. We saw that in the second half of last season. It's fantastic that Shelby is busting a gut to get fit, to get fitter, to be trimmer and leaner, to to push on in midfield. It's exactly the kind of attitude you need around a read around the camp. So that's very heartening. Let's move on. We're going to have a bit of chat about Darren Eels and also another special guest very soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, chaps, we had an announcement late last week that uh, the search for a CEO is finally over. Chris Darren Eels has been appointed uh, from Atlanta, and uh, a, a name that came out of the blue a little bit. Uh, it must be a relief to the club, and it must be a relief to everybody involved that we've now got the man in place that we wanted. We spoke about this recently on the pod that the appointment hadn't been made, but now Darren Eels is in place. Yeah, I mean, it came out the blue publicly, and I'm not trying to. Uh, I'm not trying to be wise after the fact. It was. It was a name which we had uh, heard at the Athletic a few weeks ago. We had tried to check it out. My colleague Felipe Cardenas, who covers, who we had on the podcast before, who is close at Atlanta United. We we'd sort of tried to to get it firmed up. We didn't get enough information to be able to write this the story as strongly as we would have wanted to. So so didn't put it out there. But it it is a very interesting choice. This CEO search has gone on for a long while. Uh, Newcastle I think have been close on previous occasions to getting towards someone and then for whatever reason it hasn't happened it's been delayed yeah. and they've gone for someone who Newcastle have had dealings with before you, people may remember his name when Miguel Almiron signed for Newcastle because he was the Atlanta United president he was the one who negotiated the deal Steve Nixon had a lot of dealings with him and it's 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 an interesting choice because I think that the people were thinking they were going to go for sort of big hitters around Europe I mean Ivan Gazidis was someone who was linked to former Arsenal uh, uh, director who's, who's now at um, AC Milan and instead they've gone for Eels who I think is real success story if you look at it and we will be doing a big piece on this on the, on the Athletic in the coming days and weeks is really commercially what he has done to that club they they, they, they wouldn't they re- really started them off from nothing and now they have they have one of the best uh, stadia in the world they uh, they have won, they've won the MLS but they really are very good at, at the commercial uh, dealings and revenue and that's really where Newcastle need to expand so it'll be fascinating to see what he can do this was the the second executive appointment they needed on top of Dan Ashworth and they've finally got it done so that's a real positive George Darren Eels is um you know he was, he's an Essex boy studied at uh, at Brown University played soccer over there to what to what level we're not entirely sure but he returned to England studied at Cambridge uh, and he's also been involved at West Brom. What exactly have Newcastle got with Darren Eels here? Is he is he someone who who you think can push the club forward? Yeah, and obviously at West Brom he worked he worked with Dan Ashworth, so that's you know that's an important kind of link link to make. I mean, mm. if we take a step back, it has taken a long time for them to get this position sorted, but at the end of it. They've got themselves, and you know there has been criticism along the way about the time it's taken to make decisions. But you know, I would like to pay a bit of tribute to to the people running the club because at the end of it, Newcastle have got a really serious, sensible manager in Eddie Howe. Yep. They've made a very serious technical appointment in Dan Ashworth. And although I know less about Dar- Darren Neils, as Chris says, his track record in America in building a club from scratch yeah. has been exemplary. They have not gone for the stardust kind of names that we were sort of you know might have thought at the start of this they haven't been seduced by that they haven't been seduced by the sort of fame and and that side of it which we thought might happen with players as well and Mm. Newcastle suddenly feel like a sensible serious forward-thinking football club and I just think that's amazing. I mean, I think that's brilliant. And and so I'm very excited to see what Darren Eels can do. I want us to play this little clip. This takes us back to February when I sat down with Amanda Staveley and, and Murdad Gadusi. And we were talking about 
what the CEO would bring when he or she eventually arrived. And um, at the start of this clip, Mirdad is actually, he was talking initially about the sporting director, and then he moved on to talk about what they wanted from a CEO. Uh, and then secondly, to bring on a, a CEO who, who has a vision about making a successful, sustainable business within the club. Uh, and that's driving commercial revenues because commercial revenues means more money for the club, which means yeah. the club can invest more into its infrastructure, into its squad, into every other aspect of it. These are all kind of simple things, but when you put it into place, will create an incredible output. This is part of our... Yeah, so, so the so the CEO's role isn't. We don't want just a CEO that's been at another Premier League club that is going to just say, "Okay, this is what we did before. This is what you do, and yeah. this is what I think you, and this is what I'm going to continue to do." We want someone who will come in and really challenge the status quo and look at the business from a, many different angles because we think the Premier League will change. It has to. In in there'll be more challenge. It's done an incredibly good job of attracting sponsorship, yeah. but we're moving into a new digital area where NFTs and different commerce is, are coming in, which gives the clubs massive opportunities for revenue but that has to be well thought through yeah we do not want our club to be selling products to fans that aren't suitable and disparate you know we just yeah, yeah. have to really think about what our fans want and they have to also have value for money um so we want a commercial we want to sorry a, a chief executive that can help us really grow this as a global brand and really put newcastle on the on on the global map, yeah, yeah. and that doesn't mean to say that Murdy and I will step back because we won't. We'll just all remain working a hundred percent of our time, yeah. still on it, you know. But we'll just have more people to do the work. So, Chris, it feels uh, it feels like the parts are starting to fall into place. The Dan Ashworth uh, appointment was a big one, and this one with Darren Eels seems like a big one as well. One of the things that's really impressed me about Darren Eels, I've watched a couple of little clips and interviews with him, and the way he talks about football fans and how they are essential to the business model and how they are so important. And he seems to be really on board with fan engagement and making sure that fans are happy going forward. And I mean, this is not something we're used to with Newcastle United, is it? Because the last fella couldn't give two fucks about the fans. And we, you know, we, we knew that for 14 years or whatever it was. Uh, but Darren Neal seems to be someone who's interested in, in committed to uh, to fan engagement going forward. Yeah, as you say, it's it's the polar opposite of what we've seen previously. I mean, I think it's slightly different because in the in in US sports, you ha- that has to be the way that you are. You have to be a little bit more outward facing. So it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much of that translates across to Newcastle. Yeah. He was at West Brom previously uh, when Dan Ashworth was there. He then sort of rose up the ranks. He went to Spurs and worked with Daniel Levy, so he got experience there before he went across to. United. He's also on the board at Aberdeen, so he has links there. I don't know whether he's going to have to resign that position yet or not. We're going to try and find Mm, out. But that fan engagement, I hope to see that 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 will be built up and to get more supporters involved. But whether it directly correlates from what happened in Atlanta to to, to moving it across the Premier League, it is slightly different. But equally, I think that we will see progress in that area because it certainly wouldn't be hard from from the previous ownership but there is still there is still work to go as 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 well as the current owners have done I still think with so much that needs to be built up off the pitch a new CEO will really help to to do that and hopefully make it an outward looking club once again and just to go back to Newcastle's email when they announced when they announced his uh, appointment they say that uh, over the over the time he spent at Atlanta, he's built a franchise that secured the highest average attendance in MLS, created the most valuable squad, generated the largest profits, and won mul- multiple trophies. That's exactly the kind of journey Newcastle are looking to go on to to grow absolutely every part of the club, not to just spend money. It's about generating money. It's about making money, money that can then be reinvested back into the club in terms of infrastructure, in terms of playing. Um, and and all the rest of it. It's a massive, massive role. People close to the takeover have have were saying from day one, Newcastle can't really develop properly until this appointment comes in because this yeah. appointment is the key to all of that stuff. Absolutely. And uh, what way to uh, to finish this? What better way to finish this than to hear from the man himself? Newcastle United. Darnell says is both a giant of a club and the heartbeat of its community. I've been overwhelmed by the passion of the fans and I'm delighted to be joining for this new chapter in its long history. There we go. Smart words from Darren Eels and welcome to Newcastle United.
Don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months right now. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. We're going to switch over to Zoom now and we'll be back in just a moment with Newcastle United physio Derek Wright. Back in a sec. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, a week after welcoming one of Newcastle's great entertainers to the pod, we have another legend amongst us. For 38 years, this man has been Newcastle's physio, agony aunt, the priest of the treatment room, friend and confidant of players, and the keeper of the club's flame. At last count, he'd worked under 31 managers, permanent, temporary, or interim. Recently, he's announced his retirement. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Derek Wright. Hello, Derek. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Are you good? I'm all right. Yes, I'm. Uh, um, it's it's slightly strange, but um, it's it's nice in a way as well. You know, not having to sort of worry about uh, the stress of the day ahead. So it, it is. It's strange, but I'm, I'm I'm getting used to it a little bit. I think. So why now? Why was now the right time for you to retire? I think um, it was something which we discussed at the end of last season. Really, I mentioned last year that. I'd probably sort of retire in the next couple of years. I thought it was the right time. And maybe maybe I went to 40 years or when I was 66. And But I think once I sort of got it in my head and I kept, I kept on talking about it and I couldn't help it. And I was thinking, right, there, you need to shut up and not tell people you're retiring here. Um, but I, it was one of those things which once you've, once it was there. Yeah. It was, I was thinking this, this is the right time. And I think they were aware that they had to, you know, prepare for my successor. Yeah. So we were looking at that as well. We were looking at sort of new head physios, people that could take over. Do we advertise? Do we headhunt? That type of thing. And it was just a discussion then after the end of last season. And then it was just... Right, I think this is the, the right time, really. The idea initially was to sort of have some sort of transition from me to the new head physio, but I think, and I, I said as well, I, I, I didn't think that was a really the best idea. I couldn't, you know, imagine coming in as head physio myself and there's Derek Wright in the corner of the treatment room <laughs> pottering around and... Yeah. Um, you know, I thought, well, no, I don't think that's right. And we agreed. And so we thought we'd, we'd sort of do it now, really. Well, before we, we have a lot of stories that we want to we want to get out of you, if you don't mind. But we also want to make a bit of fuss of you. And before we start properly, I, I kind of just want to say, too, that you, you, you really are, you're an icon at the club. And it is an, it, this is the end of, a, of an era. You're a very, very special person. I've known you for a long time. But I think, I think the... You, you, the biggest thing I want to say, kind of about you, is is that you know there's been some tough times at the club over the last decade and more. But it's knowing that you're there, 
and you're there striving for excellence and you're there as a great fella, but great at what you do has made me feel confident that the club was still in safe hands and it made me, it gave me a connection to the club and to the team when sort of every other part of the club was driving me away from that. So I want to say, I mean, I want to say huge thank you for your service and everything you've done. We're very privileged we get a chance to, to do this. But to say thank you and thank you for keeping the spirit of the club alive for so long. No, that's very, very uh, kind words. Thank you very much. Um, I, it's, yeah, I, I think it's just a, a, I think it's the way you've been brought up as well as, as a youngster, my dad, always used to say to me, look, you just 100%, doesn't matter what happens, you work hard, head down, be honest, you know, all the sort of good sort of values, really. And I think, and there is, and still is, a lot of good people at the club, a lot of people who have been there a long time. And, you know, even in these sort of frustrating years, we would chat amongst ourselves and people are grafters, really, there, you know? I mean people who've been there as long as me and you've just got to work hard and, and graft away. And I think, I think it was the, the thought of, yes, this one day, this will get better because I think it does go in cycles. And I remember Arthur Cox saying to me when the time when Kevin Keegan was a, he said to me and Ray Thompson, look, you, you, you know, enjoy this period because this will not happen. It might not happen again, or it might not happen for a very long time. And me and, me and Ray, after Arthur went out, just looked at each other and went, what's he talking about? You know, it was like, surely this is going to be the way it is for the next 30, 40 years. And, yeah. But it wasn't, you know, and it was one of those where we, we were appreciative after a period of time we knew what Arthur was talking about, really. The, those great times don't come along that often and yet you have to really enjoy them. All right, well... We were going to ask you this a bit later on, but as soon as you brought it up, it feels like the best time to do it. We'll come back to kind of talk a bit about your earlier career. But when we had we had John Beresford on last week and he was talking about the similarities between the Keegan era, the start of the Keegan era really, and, and now, that there is that feeling of reinvigoration around the club. There's been a takeover, there's a new manager, there's new players come in, and there's that huge feeling of momentum behind the club and the city. Do you feel those parallels as well? Yes, definitely. I mean, you you could you could feel that straight away where they, it was announced the takeover was there and, you know, all the supporters were down the ground and the feeling next day of going into work and we were all excited, really, you know. I mean, we yeah. you don't know what's coming and you don't know, but it's you knew that it was the start of something different start of something special and I was just pleased for the fans really because I mean there's there's staff it's a bit strange really because you know this is going on but the next day and the day after is just like a normal day at work you've just got to <laughs> yeah you just have to crack back on don't you then routine and um you know you're talking about it with players and with staff but you knew something was you knew something different was happening definitely I mean that was for sure you know I remember one of the physios coming in to me and saying, right, Derek, what, what can we buy now? You know, it's like equipment-wise. And I went, well, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's as simple as that, really, because, it, you know, it's, if you're not careful, you're, you're like a kid in a sweet shop and you want to buy everything, you know. But it, it's, but it, it was that feeling, you know, it was like, oh, this could be the opportunity of, you know, improving everything and getting what we, you know, what we want, really. And Derek, Newcastle was always your club, wasn't it? But but in your earlier career, you actually signed for Arsenal uh, originally as an apprentice fullback. Is that right? Yes, um, I, I used to I used to travel down from Stanley. I, I, I remember getting picked up from school on a Friday by taxi when I was at school, taking to the station, going down and playing in the Southeast Counties League in at Arsenal and. Staying the next day, getting the train back, and I was only about 14, 15 year old then, about yeah. probably about 15. And it was, you know, I'm, I sound like a really grumpy old dad with, with, with my boys because I said to them, Look, I was, I was living in London when I was 16, get yourself yeah. up a kid. <laughs> so it was like, it was, uh, it was one of those where it was, it was awesome. We're, we're, fantastic club to play for and they were you know I won't 
you know, the, my memories there were, were brilliant, really. I didn't make it. I wasn't good enough, yeah. really. But And I, I think I was nearly, you know, I was in, in a monk. My era was Frank Stapleton, you know, David O'Leary, Graham Ricks, uh, Liam Brady, you know, that yeah. that sort of um, era. And they, they sort of went on, a lot of them went on to make the grade. The, it was a little bit different than the, 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 the used to sort of, you signed schoolboy forms and you, you went down every holiday. So I was, yeah. I was traveling down to London all the time, really. But they were, they were a great club. They were, they did things right. And, and it sort of taught me a lot then about how to try and think about the right way to do things, you know. And, um, but they, yeah, they were, they were, great to play for and um you know i never made it but so you went away you retrained and one of the connections you'd made at arsenal was actually with malcolm mcdonald wasn't it and you came back to he he asked you back to london you went to fulham and when i say that you did everything at fulham can you please explain what that what that meant yeah i mean i was i was i mean i was only 23 when i was first team physio well i was the only physio for the whole club and I remember going down, being in Diggs the night before and having my, all my sports medicine books and, and thinking this is just completely, you know, I, I worked in the health service for two years and thinking this is completely different. I was quite sort of nervous, apprehensive, but like sort of excited. And the next day, you know, it was, I remember running onto the pitch when I hadn't even been called on by the, by the referee and sort of like being ordered off. I was that excited, you know, so it was, but it was, it was great. That was a great little club. I mean, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. It was, but sorry to interrupt, but you also registered as a player, weren't you? So you were, so you were playing for the reserves, but then also yeah. treating the same players. That's what I meant. When Well, I was 20, like I say, I was 23 and I, that. I hadn't made it in Arsenal, but I could I could still play. And Terry Mancini was the reserve team manager. And Derry, Terry said, right, Derek, you might as well, because I did the reserves and the first team. And he said, you know, make sure that you you get straight. And anyway, I played one of the games and then he stopped picking me for the for the reserves. <laughs> so you know, I started playing the reserves and if anybody got injured, the coach driver was on in the dugout with my bag. My God. I used to run off. <laughs> well, the first, the first game, I said to the coach driver, come on with the bag. I thought that would work. But then he came on with the, it was when you had the bucket and sponge. He came on with the bucket and sponge and the water was splashing all over the place. There was a, so I just said, look, you you stay there. I'll run off, get the bag, and run back on. And then, you know, the players were looking and it's true. And when I started to actually treat the players as well, it was it was just right, run off, put the bag <laughs> off, and that's right, and carry on the game, you know. So like, I'm amazed you didn't run on one day with the bus driver sandwiches in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong bag up. Well, the bus driver was so excitable, so I had to, I had to keep him in the dugout for after that. But we we played one of the one of the games, and Terry told me after uh, uh, Frank Clark was manager of Orient, I think at the time. We played at Watford, and he came to watch the game, and he he came down to one inquired about me as a player. And Terry Mancini said, "No, you can't, you can't, you can't take him. He's our physio, you know." So he's <laughs> like, "I think I didn't know if he was." Uh, Frank was a little bit embarrassed that he was uh, he, he wanted to take the other team's physio rather than the player really. What about returning back to Newcastle United? That must have been a, a bit of a dream come true under Jack Charlton and, and and coming back to the club that you loved as a boy and stuff like that. It must have been an amazing feeling. Yeah, I mean, the, the it was through old Dr. Beveridge, really. Dr. Beveridge was the club doctor at the time and he was a, a GP, but um, a lovely man, very, very good GP, very good doctor who had an interest in sports medicine. He rang me when I was at Fulham and said, look, would I be interested? He knew I was mm. from the Northeast. He knew someone who'd worked with me in the health service at uh, Northumberland. And I went for an interview at, at, the, at the hotel with Jack and the doc and and that was it. Yes, I got the Jack. Jack was never talked about the job. Just talked about fishing and <laughs> you know football, and that was it. Really, nothing about physiotherapy. 
basically, or the medical side. And he just said, right, you're a young physio, but you, you'll grow up with a, a young team. I always remember him saying that to me, and that was... So when I came to Newcastle, I mean, I was like the likes of Glenn Road, Kenny Wharton, Peter Batesley were the players, and they were they were great. I mean, I was only 26 when I came as, as head physio, and that was the lads at that time were really, really... They, they, they took me under their wing a little bit, really, and I think they realised I was only young, and they were very... Uh, friendly, very sort of accommodating. And I mean, again, back then you did pretty much everything. Then as well, you were you were physio for the first team reserves, the kids as well, I think. But I, I want to talk a little bit about the Jim Smith era, and you know exactly where I'm going to go go with this because you also had to. I mean, you did all the organising for the away trips, didn't you? You booked the accommodation, you did all that kind of stuff, and you were in charge. Yeah. You were in charge of the float for the away trips, <laughs> so. Well I, well, I, well, I want you to explain, please, is what that meant under Jim Smith's management. Well, uh, the floor was, I remember the floor was £300, <laughs> and the floor covered everything from, I'll say, a couple of bottles of wine on a, on a Friday night, um, of red wine, um, the fish and chips after the game, and everything that, that was, and I remember Tony Towers, Tony used to say, Derek, where's the receipts, you know? And I said, Tony, there's no receipts. You know, just there's just no receipts. But there was, there was, yeah, Jim's red wine and um, the fish and chips. Well, I, I remember where every game I used to take an order for the fish and chips and we went to Blackburn and the, there was a, I remember giving the fish and chip order to the man outside the dressing room. He used to order the fish and chips after the game at Blackburn. And I could tell this, this guy wasn't listening to what I was saying about the order and whatever like that. <laughs> And Jim was in the middle of a pre-match team talk at full floor, and there was a knock on the door. And this old man came in from outside the dressing room, and he went, "Was it six fish, or was it seven fish and chips, or was it in the middle of Jim's team talk?" And I'm thinking, "Oh my God!" I mean, I'm not telling you what, Jim, Jim, yeah, you know, like just at the top of his voice and. With the poor little old man, I was saying that that's all right. Just I tried to usher him out, and, and Jim, Jim was like, "He never forgive me for that." <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, obviously, nutrition has changed a lot since then, but also, so, 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 so has the job of, of the physio, except to say that I think you've always said, you've always said that it's about the hands, you know, the job is about the hands, but it's also about the mind. And I did a big interview with, with you for The Times a few years ago. And so many of the players that I spoke to when I said that I was interviewing you from Alan Shearer to Steve Harper to Steve Howie said how important you were, not just because you were shit hot at your sort of day job, but because you were this almost confessional figure because you see people at their lowest ebb you see footballers when they can't play football when they're not footballers anymore and so you have to guide them you were the person that kind of guided them through dark places so you had you had this sort of dual responsibility didn't you to get them fit but also mentally to to kind of keep them right you took that on your shoulders too yeah i think i think it's a um, 
and I still do. You know, the the, the game or our um, occup- uh, profession is in sport has changed dramatically, really. And, you know, I have tried to, and I think I have prided myself in keeping up with the developments and research and everything like that, and you have to. But the the most important thing, and I always say this to physios coming through, is that you, you have to listen, you have to work out the, the history of what's happened with them, the... The, you have to listen to them as human beings and you have to, your hands are important. You can have the best machines in the world and all the gadgets, but at the end of the day, you have to feel, you have to touch, you have to know what a injured muscle feels like, what a yeah. healing muscle feels like. But the, the most important thing is that they trust you and that, you you know, if they say something to you, you're not going to blab it off to anybody or any of the other players. What they tell you is stays in, inside you. And, you know, there's things that have been told me I would never tell anybody, you know, and just to, I'll take to the grave. And and that's, you know, and, but I think that's a, that has been a, a big part of it, really. And Derek, that uh, we talked about a little bit about it before about the Kevin Keegan era when he returned as manager, and it and it really reinvigorated the club, didn't it? And it was the it was the time when I first started going watching football at St James's Park. I have very fond memories of it, of that sort of ninety two ninety three season. And what what must it have been like? What was it like being inside of that? It it must have been a phenomenal feeling to see the club and and the way it was changing and the take off that was possible. Yeah, I mean it was. <laughs> I remember we, we played at Leicester, I think, um, where we, we could have gone down, couldn't we? And yeah. we didn't. And, That's right, yeah. And I remember just the feeling after that game, thinking and then turning to Ray and saying, this is, this is, this is it. I think we're, we're going to do really well. And um, the next year, and the, you know, the following years after that, it was just, we just, we just, you felt as the feeling is, is that you, you're just never going to get, you're going in every game and you think we're going to win this game. We're going to, but you weren't winning, just win the game. You were winning well, you know, you were, there was goals flying in all over the place. And it was, it was just, I don't know, you could tell the crowd as well. were just like, it was a, a different feel. And um, the memories of, of that time was was brilliant, really. Right. Well, now that we've got you on that, you are. I'm afraid that you are contractually obliged now to uh, tell us the Keegan fancy dress story. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, the I'll not tell you the first first bit, but the second bit was the the club. The all the the guy. It was a club fancy dress. Everybody staff. Um, not Kevin and Terry, I don't think, but the, the, the all the other staff. And there was, you know, everybody had to get a fun, fancy dress. And I remember Ferrer, Paul Ferrer saying to me, Derek, you would look great as a pink fairy. And I was thinking, really? I, and then I started to think, you know what? I think I would <laughs> I would look great as a pink fairy. Just quite worried, really. You know, I, so I got the pink fairy outfit and me Dr. Martens and everything like that. Anyway, we... I'd, I'd come back away from a weekend with um, when I'd taken Steve and Alan away and things probably had got a little bit messy, should we say, and <laughs> came back. Evan was calling St- Steve in first and, and I remember just all the shouting and, you know, whatever like that. And Steve was in his emu co- costume and the, the head was, the emu's head was bowed down in shame. Um <laughs> And then I said to Paul Ferris, I said, I'm, there's no way I'm putting this pink fairy outfit on. Kevin's on one and he's going to go absolutely ballistic if I walk in there as a pink fairy. And Ferris went, you'll be all right, Derek. He's all right. He understands. You know? <laughs> and Ray Thompson as well. Derek, you're fine. Don't, don't worry. So then I went in the pink fairy uh, into the room after Steve's emus had sort of walked out. And he, we just went, what the? And it was just like, he looked at Terry and he just, he went on for a while and, you know, made me feel really ashamed of myself. And at the end went, just, just get out, just get out. And that was it. I remember just walking out, looking, I must have been the... 
the most shameful pink fairy that had ever sort of walked the planet. You know, I was just like ashamed of myself and Mary Antoinette wig and me wand and you know. But you for, you you forget you've got this outfit on really, and I just remember trudging out and, and then just everybody bursting out laughing, and then. I just remember the little window, Kevin looking out the window, and I could see, all I could see was Kevin's eyes just sort of boring a hole through me, you know, sort of. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. It was just... Oh, amazing. I won't go into the... What Kevin said, that was that was uh, <laughs> probably between me and him. But I, he sort of has a little laugh about it uh, since then, I think, but... He was. He rang me the other day, Kevin. Actually, he was. He was really, really nice on the phone, oh, and uh, but I never brought the pink fairy outfit. But that pink fairy outfit, I won the. I won the prize for the best outfit. Amazing. After all that, <laughs> Derek. One of the one of the things that kept getting mentioned on social media uh, amongst fans was. Uh, was during your early days was racing opposition physios onto the pitch. <laughs> this is something which has become kind of like was like kind of like your trademark back in the day. Where did this come from, and what was it all about? I mean, I just wanted initially. I mean, it was just to get on the field as quickly as possible, and I, 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 I was I was a sprinter actually at, at, at school. I sort of. Um, up to sort of county standard and whatever like that, and so I, I know I, I knew I could sprint, but it was it was after the first couple of times I could hear this sort of woo, you know, like a cheer <laughs> when I went on, and I thought right, and then it was a, a feeling of I'm just not I can't get beat here. I kind of kind of let the other physio beat me, which is quite childish, I know, but it was it was just ingrained in my mind that. I was going to beat whoever it was, and and that was it. And then the chain got louder and louder, and it was just going on. And I remember, but it was when I was going off the other side of the pitch and have a sort of a little laugh and with the fans, and it was just it was just nice, really. I think it was just sort of a you know it was it was nice if you if you were winning, if it was if you were getting beaten, you were you know they were still cheering. It was like um, it was quite embarrassing, but. It, it was. It was. That's all it was. It was. Just, I couldn't stop myself from from racing at the end. Something inside of me. I had to win. That was. That was it. I'm trying to think about how I um, express this delicately um, in this modern world we live in, where you have to be very conscious about uh, the words you use. But I mean, you're a you're you're not a small man. I'm going to put it that way. Um, and over the years, oh, maybe I've done that completely wrong. Um, over the years, I mean, you've had this you know fantastic relationship with the players you work with. There have been certain beneficiaries to this because you've had sort of bets, haven't you, over the course of seasons with players about losing weight and things like that. And it's where you've kept players engaged. And And I think Alan Shearer's retirement fund, his pension fund, did pretty well out of you over the years. I think I'm right in saying. But also, <laughs> yeah, the- more recently, you came quite close to having an unfortunate addition to your body, didn't you? And you own... Tell, tell us a story about that. I think you'd probably know what I mean. And how close did you come? You think I would learn my lesson, wouldn't you? But I've been roped in over the years. Right, Derek, come on, I'll bet you can lose three stone this season. And right, come on, come on, and I'll, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sure my my words on my gravestone are going to be, "This is it," you know. That right, this is it. <laughs> and I won against Kevin Keegan. I lost a couple to Alan, where he he sort of. Accepted the money, which I, I, I didn't think he would actually, but he did. It was. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of going to the cash point machine and was nearly being sick taking the money out. Um, then there was Stephen Taylor, was a, his, if he won, he was going to use the paintball. I was dressed down to my underpants in the six yard box, <laughs> running between the posts. And he had 50 paintballs where he could basically shoot them from the edge of the 18-yard box, which was going to be on YouTube at the same time. So I thought I was going to do this, and I, I, there was a day to go, and I was 12 pounds overweight. And I said to Jamie Harley, the, the sports scientist, says, Jamie, is it possible to lose 12 pounds in one day? And he went, well, it is, but it's not advisable, and it's dangerous. 
I went, right, okay. I says, well, I'm going to do it, you know. So I ended up with various methods of sauna, steam room, treadmill, bike, you know, just for 24 hours. And I, I lost 12 pounds in one day. Bloody hell. I remember Tails coming in with all the equipment thinking he's, he'd won. And I got on the scales and he, he just <laughs> he went off on what he thought I was cheating, for one thing. <laughs> And he thought that the scales were wrong and he just wouldn't believe that I'd lost this 12, because he knew I was 12 pound overweight. And what made it worse was Liz, the chef, she had a big tray of bacon and egg sandwiches in the background. <laughs> All I could smell were these bacon and egg sandwiches and the, the scales weren't working properly. And I was getting hangry and I was like, Jimmy, get these scales working, please. You know, it's like, I need these scales. And as soon as the 12 pounds was lost, that was it. I was just diving into the bacon and egg sandwiches after Amazing. that. But he, Gales was good at he, he lost that. And then the last one was uh, with Matt Ritchie. He was going to get a tattoo of him himself on my backside if I'd lost. Um, but again, <laughs> left everything to the last moment and I managed to do it. So I did win that one as well. But, you know, what happens when you do these stupid bets and as the people in, you know, in the right jobs and professions will tell you it's the wrong thing to do. So I don't advise doing this. No. <laughs> and you just end up putting all the weight back on again. And so, you know, it's, it's not advisable, really. We kept everybody happy for 38 years. So. Well, I was going to say, we're telling these stories over 38 years. Over those 38 years, you're, you're entitled to a few funny stories. And um, no, the, po- the point is, you've, you've stayed at the club for so long because you're shit out of what you do. But that... That relationship with footballers is is obviously such a huge, huge part of the job. We use that phrase, safe hands. They've been your hands. Players have been in safe hands. But in that way that I spoke about at the start, the club has been in safe hands with people like you around and people like Tony Toward and you mentioned Ray as well. To know that and feel that, that the people at the club connect back, connect with us, connect everybody around, and you've taken that responsibility so seriously. You know, we have had a laugh, we've told some funny stories, and, you know, that's been a great pleasure to hear that. But the serious part is, is that, as I said, you've been connected to the club for so long because you've been really, really good at at your job, always pushing for better. So I suppose the final final question we, we, we need to ask is, What's you know? What's next? How are you going to spend your retirement? Presumably, you'll still be uh, engaged with the with the club. And did you get a good send off from from Eddie Howe and the rest? Yeah, well, I mean, it was uh, Eddie invited me back in to say goodbye properly to um, the players and staff, which I did, which was I managed to hold it together. And but it, it was nice, really, because it was like a um, a final. You know, it was like a bit of a closure for me to say thank you uh, to them, really. Um, I think there's the, the talking about a presentation or a, a something like that. Um, but it, it, it was, for, for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I am looking forward to spending time with my family. I need to give them something back. I mean, Helen's been brilliant over, over the years. She's, you know, she's had to put up with me through all the sort of, you know, the struggling times as well, really. Um, have time with the boys, and I'll be. I'm gonna have some connection. I may do a little bit of work with the, you know, with the academy or the women's team or something like that. It's some there is going to be a connection there still, but I'm keen on my job. I'm not going to stop physiotherapy. I'm keen on MSK ultrasound. I, I find it really interesting, and so I'm trying to do a lot of reading still and things like that. So there, there is, you know. I've got to keep, I can't just stop work. I mean, I've been, that would, you know, was, I said to Helen the other day, you know, what worried me initially was something like that would be Brooks off Shawshank Redemption. And, you know, when he was let out of prison and he sort of ended up <laughs> packing the, the, the shop and then sort of Tesco or somewhere. <laughs> and I just thought, no, I've, I've got to keep working. I cannot, I cannot stop. You know, I've uh, just got to keep going, and I need to lose weight. To <laughs> for a bet, you know, the, no more you bets. Know, no no more bets. <laughs> uh, well, Derek, thanks so much for uh, for coming on and talking to us. It's been brilliant chatting with you. And 38 years uh, as the as the club's physio, and I think it's obvious that your commitment to the club and to the job was never uh, never wavered. You you've been a brilliant uh, a brilliant servant of the club all these years, and it's. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks very much, mate, for coming on. We really enjoyed it. Thank you.
Ah, George, that was great, wasn't it? What a what a fantastic bloke and an amazing servant of the club as well. Just a brilliant, a bri- Oh, sorry, my voice is breaking. There. Oh wow, um, what happened to you it's there? About, it's about time. Ta- <laughs> it's about time. Ooh. About time my voice broke. Uh, no, I mean I feel emotional. I mean I feel emotional about him leaving. Yeah. Because as I said, as I said to him, it's you know he has been that connection through good times and bad. Those people at the club, they become they they are the fabric of the club, you know. But it's. It's also about excellence, you know. He, as he said, he came to the club at the time when it was when it was a bucket and a sponge, and you know he's he stayed there because he's been able to adapt and to develop, and he's developed the the physio department. I visited him in there when I interviewed him, and it's you know obviously it's incredibly technical now and in, and and advanced, and will only get better under the new owners. But it all comes down to personality and the hands and. The fact he is a great bloke, the fact he's able to treat people mentally as well as physically. He has been an agony ant for players, for generations of players. He will be sorely, sorely missed. One of the great characters of Newcastle's recent history. 38 years as well. Some career that, isn't it? Astonishing. An incredible service. Yep. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much to Derek for coming on and talking to us and congratulations on his retirement as Indeed. well. A well-deserved uh, rest ahead for him, I'm sure. Uh, right then, that's everything. We're going to sign off now, chaps. Chris is away somewhere. He's probably pilfering somebody else's breakfast in Austria. Thanks a lot for listening to Pot on the Tine again. Don't forget, uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Chris for joining us from Austria and thanks to Derek as well for coming on and telling us some amazing stories. Uh, That's it. We'll be back next week. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Athletic.